This morning, we're going to look at addiction from a biblical view. Uh, and I know it's something that very many of us would rather not discuss. But I think it's, it's something that God laid on my heart this morning, and, and I think we need, we need to look at it and talk about it. I'm going to start with a few statistics. And this is from uh, Gary Blackard, who's the president of Adult and Teen Challenge USA. Between February and August of last year, drug overdoses rose 42%. That's amazing. That was during the height of the pandemic. During the same time, the number of inquiries to Teen Challenge dropped drastically. So what they're figuring is once the pandemic winds down, there's going to be a wave of people that need help. So if any of you support Teen Challenge, they're going to need help. Uh, as Christians today, we're bombarded with facts and with theories regarding addiction. We're told it's a disease. We're told that addicts are victims. Uh, we're told that recovery is possible if we just do any one of 10,000 things. And oh, by the way, give us your money and we'll help you. So I want to start off this morning of, uh, with an old example, if, if the video is going to work, with an old example of how society usually looks at addictions. And those of us over 50 may have seen this little skit before, but for those of you that haven't, enjoy. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Still uh, being uh, buried alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And, uh, and let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm... Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. 
Shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> it is. Then stop it! I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. We, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't I don't make change. Then I I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it. <laughs> But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, fatty. no, no, no. No, we di we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say. We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it. But what what else? <clears throat> well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it. <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! <laughs> How are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's the problem, Kathy? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Here are the ten words. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. Any of you remember that one? 
That means I'm old. So, you all like that form of therapy? Yeah. Um, sad to say, uh, society kind of looks at addiction that way. You know, just stop it. It sounds simple. And unfortunately, as I said before, it's, it's our solution to a lot of things. We think people who are addicted are what? Weak, right? Weak-willed. Um, those of us who have been addicted know it's not quite that easy. I want you to consider something for a moment. If you knowingly put poison into your body every day, knowing it's going to kill you, how much willpower does that require? That requires an awful lot of willpower. So, so don't, don't let people tell you that addicts are weak-willed. I had a sponsor that used to say addicts are close to the angels because they're almost 100% willpower. Now, I see some surprise faces out there. If you think I'm wrong, and if you know an addict, give them a challenge to do something. They will overcome any obstacle that there is because addicts are some of the most motivated people in the world. Not at the end of their addiction, because at the end of their addiction, everything's been taken from them. But when they're still high functioning, I, I used to work with a couple and, and trust me, they were my best workers as long as they stayed in recovery. They, they were on time, they worked tremendous, they did a tremendous amount of work. So it, it's not really about willpower. Now, a lot of us have been affected by addiction. Uh, some of us have personally experienced it or are experiencing it now. Or we have uh, family members that we're worried about. Now, it's been around for thousands of years. Uh, I think one of the oldest is alcohol. It showed up in the Old Testament scripture. Uh, the earliest mention that I found was in Genesis 9, 2023. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Jep yeah, Jepheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they didn't look at him so they wouldn't see him naked. I don't see any youngsters in the room. The next, the next scripture is Genesis 19, 30 and 32. Afterward, Lot left Zor because he was afraid of the people there, and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day the older daughter said to her sister, there are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married like everyone else. And our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let us get him drunk with wine, and then we will have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. Now, those are two of the earliest references I've found. In all told, there are 179 references to the use of wine in the Old Testament. Some good, some bad. But now, let's get something clear before we go any further. The Bible does not, and I repeat, not say don't drink. Nor does it say drinking is a sin. The admonition in the Bible is do not be drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says don't be drunk with wine. 
because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 23.20 says, Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. Now, when you add to alcohol the multitude of drugs we face today, you can get some idea of not only how long addiction has been around, but the massive substance abuse disorder problem we face today. And that's what they call it now, SUD, substance abuse disorder. You can be addicted to drugs, to alcohol. You can be addicted to things. You can be addicted to people. You can be addicted to almost anything, cars, motorcycles, Facebook, Twitter, pornography. You, you can be addicted to a ton of things. Now, Webster defines addiction as a compulsive, chronic, physiological, or psychological need for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity having harmful physics, physical, psychological, or social effects and typically causing well-defined symptoms such as anxiety, irritability, tremors, or nausea upon withdrawal or abstinence. The state of being addicted or a strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. And to that I'm going to add without attention to the consequences. Uh, we, we've, all, we've all heard stories about people who are either drunk or addicted or whatever and 99% and of them are true. I'm going to tell you a little story. And uh, I found this online. It's the story of a duke who lived in the 14th century. His name was Reynald III of Belgium. He lived in a life of indulgence, everything that he wanted, and he was obese. And from the description you're going to tell, you're going to be able to tell he was more than mildly obese. His Latin nickname was Crassus, which means fat. One day, he and his younger brother, Edward, got into a vicious fight, and Edward planned and executed a triumphant revolt against Reynold. Edward took his older brother into custody, but did not take his life. He decided to construct a room around him in the Newkirk Castle and promised his brother that he would enjoy freedom once again when he was able to leave the room. Now, this wouldn't have been much of a challenge for the average person because the room he built had a number of windows and a door of near normal size and neither the door nor the windows were locked. They weren't barricaded. So you're getting the picture now, right? He was too fat to leave the room. They built the room around him, but it had a door that he could get out, had windows. In order to experience freedom again, Reynold needed to lose weight. But his brother was no dummy because he knew just how to keep him imprisoned. Every day he sent him an assortment of tasty foods and what took place is just sad. Instead of dieting his way to freedom, Reynold grew more overweight and he stayed in that room for 10 years until his brother died. But by that time his health was so awful that he kicked the bucket within a year. So he was a prisoner of his own appetite for food. You think that's an addiction? Yeah, sure it is. Anything you can't stop is an addiction. Well, and I shouldn't say that. 
doesn't matter how many times you stop, it matters how many times you start. You need to stop one, less, one more time than you start up again to, to get rid of the addiction. Now, it's popular to talk about meth, crack, pot, and all the other drugs. I want to focus on alcohol because, honestly, that's what I'm familiar with, and that's what's touched my life the most. First of all, it's socially acceptable in, our, in this country to drink. Um, alcohol does more damage than we think it does. The National Institute of Health says that in 2019, 25.25% of people ages 18 and older reported that they engaged in binge drinking in the past month. Now, for those of you that don't know, binge drinking is just drinking one drink after another until you either black out or pass out and then doing it over again a short time later. Uh, an estimated 95,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making alcohol the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. There are currently 14.5 million people in the United States with alcohol use disorder. And of those, 414,000 are between the ages of 12 and 17. Yeah. My wife started to drink when she was 15, for those of you that haven't ever talked to her. Um, the economic burden on the United States is $249 billion a year. And if you want to see the worldwide impact, just get online and use a search engine. Uh, right now, the worldwide death rate from alcohol consumption is about 3 million people a year. So 3 million people a year in the world die of alcohol uh, abuse. It's very tough, like any addiction. It can cause a lot of other dependencies as well. Alcohol causes depression, alcohol causes anxiety. You get on drugs for depression and anxiety because for some reason they don't always treat the alcoholism. Um, I, I talked to Marion and she gave me permission to kind of give a brief testimony about the two of us. Um, and many of you have probably heard this because she gave it here one Wednesday night years ago. Uh, we were married in 1985 and it wasn't the first marriage for either of us. And I didn't have a clue that she was an alcoholic when I married her. Shortly after we were married, she decided she was going to stop drinking because she had a new husband. She wanted to be a good wife. I will never forget, as long as I live, the morning that both of us are sitting at breakfast, having breakfast, and she's in her robe and I'm getting ready to go for work and she starts doing this. And I said, what are you doing? She says, there's big fuzzy worms crawling on my robe. That was my first experience with the DTs, the delirium tremens. Um, <laughs> and that was scary. First of all, it was the first time she had ever been through it because she never stopped drinking from the time she was 15 until she, she married me. Um, so she, she got through that and stopped for a time, and then we moved to Scranton from York. I had a new job, but it was her first time away from her family, so it was a lot of stress. And she started drinking again, and, and it started to progress. Now, th those of you who have ever been involved with alcoholism, I'm going to tell you that when you stop drinking, that's great. But if you start up again, 
You don't start where you stopped. You start where you would have been if you keep on drinking. Don't ask me why. Any counselor that you can talk to will tell you that. So, here we are in Scranton, and, and she's having problems again. And, and being the intellectual giant that I was back then, I decided that if she could do it, I was going to keep up with her. Well, <laughs> there's some legendary stories that came out of that that, that I'm not going to share here, but, but suffice it to say we were both in trouble. So during this time, about 1991, our daughter Kimmy, I don't know if any of you have met her or not, I know she was here once, uh, came to visit and she led Marion to the Lord. So Marion decides we're going to start going to church every week. Uh, we found a little AG church in Nicholson, under the Nicholson Bridge, if any of you are familiar with that. And I went along just to see what kind of trouble she was getting us in with you Pentecostals. So we started, I started going to the AG church, she did, and I got saved as well. So, and this is the part that I think, I think you need to, to think about. God lifted my desire to drink immediately when I got saved. Marion had a long struggle with it that included six months in jail. Yes, that sweet little old lady you know and love spent six months in jail several visits to rehab, and pretty much everything else that goes along with recovery from alcoholism. We were both in 12-step groups. She spent years with it, wrestling with that desire until she finally gave it totally to God and, able, and was able to stop. Why was there a difference? Does God heal different people differently? Let's take a quick look at the mechanics of addiction, which are very complex, and I'm, I'm not going to go into everything today, but... Many people who engage in harmful behavior, even if they're not clinically diagnosed as an addict, do so because of, what do you think? What do you think the number one reason is that you start doing this behavior? Family trauma. Unresolved family trauma. And think about it, isn't that at the root of most of our conflicts? I have a daughter that doesn't talk to me. She doesn't talk to me because for a number of years, my wife and I helped her with money when she and her husband, and she never learned what to do with it. So finally we stopped and there was a big blow up and a couple other things and, and Marion was still drinking at the time and you know, that didn't help but she doesn't talk to me. So that, that's, that's trauma. I mean, do you think I would like my daughter to talk to me? Thank God I have a son that does and another daughter, a stepdaughter that does. Um, so, addictions and dysfunction and relationship conflicts and divorce and abusive behaviors often find their origins in family history. Not always, but pretty often. If someone's holding a grudge or not speaking to each other, it, it's, it's not good. All families encounter some kind of trauma at some point in their lives, right? I mean, how many of you have gone through your life and never had a fight with your mom or dad or sister or brother or had something bad happen to one of them or, or anything like that? And it, it's going to 
if it's not handled, it's going to affect our lives for years or generations. When an individual or family doesn't seek to heal those wounds, it's often passed on to the next generation in varying degrees. Now, those of you who were here on Wednesday nights and went through the Tiff Shuttlesworth thing know that, that generational curses aren't really a thing. But if you're, if you're unsaved and you're not doing anything about any of this stuff, yeah, it can affect your kids or your mother or father or spouse or brother or sister. It can affect anybody. Marion came from an abusive family. If she's talked to any of you ladies here, you probably know that. My family wasn't abusive. And I think that made a, a large difference in how God brought us through this. So one of the keys to dealing with any addiction is what? What did, what did Bob Newhart say? No. Stop it. How do you stop something that's a compulsion? Now, 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 Darlene. Yeah, Jesus. You can have a desire to stop the behavior. And, and I'll tell you, you can't, you can't guilt an addict into stopping because they're so guilty already. Trust me, they are. And... What happens to a Christian? The Bible says in Joel 2.32, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If I'm addicted and I call on the name of the Lord and I get saved, am I still addicted? Can, can I be addicted and be saved? Well, yeah, I think so. Now, now, you may disagree with me. That's okay. But the, the Bible's pretty clear. It doesn't say, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will have their addiction removed from them. It says you will be saved. So if you're addicted and you give your heart to Jesus, you're still addicted unless he immediately lifts that addiction from you when you're saved, which happens to a, a, quite a number of people, believe it or not. Um, but more often than not, it's like everything else. First we get saved, and then Jesus cleans us up. Remember, remember the, you know, we, we plant the seed, the Holy Spirit draws them in, Jesus cleans them up. What's it called? Sanctification, right? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18. He says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I think one version says we are moving from glory to glory. That's sanctification. And I think that, that can give us all hope in our struggle against sin because when you think about it and we'll talk about this in a little bit addiction can become can easily become a sin 
And really, it is because you're not, you're not taking care of your body the way God intended us to. But. So, you remember the, uh, the scripture from Paul about should we keep on sinning to give God more glory? Romans 6, 1 to 4. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live our new lives. So, I'm addicted, I get saved, Jesus starts to sanctify me, if what? If I'm willing to do that. No one said it wasn't hard or work for anything once you get saved. Now, back to the point about why do some people get saved immediately and why do some people get saved, not get saved, why do some people get their addictions lifted immediately and why do some people have to go through stuff? My first pastor, John Lonza, and he, he pastors a church up here in Harrisburg now. He was up in Nicholson when I, when I knew him. His, his thing was, in most addictions, there is a root, if you want to call it that, that needs to be pulled out. Who all here has gardens? I have a garden. You know, you can go through a garden, you can rip weeds, right? And they, and they tear off right at the surface, and next week they're back because you don't get the root. You have to pull the root out to get rid of the weed. And, and a lot of sin is like that, and, and addiction is the same way. So if you have a root from trauma or from something else and, and you don't address it, then the weed comes back. The most common root that allows Satan to keep us in bondage, anybody want to take a guess? What is it? Barbie? That's a good one. Unforgiveness. And I think the scariest verses in the Bible dealing with unforgiveness are Matthew 6, 14, and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That scares me to death. I mean, how many of us have people in our lives for one reason or another that we haven't forgiven? I have a daughter. Have I forgiven her? Like to think so, but it's hard to forgive somebody when you can't talk to them. So that makes the root very important to any addict's Christian recovery and anyone's recovery from sin. Marion had a lot of anger built up from years of abuse. It took God a while to remove that root because it took her longer to get to forgiveness for her family. So I think, you know, there it is. Sanctification, okay? I thank God that God removed my compulsion when I got saved. I also thank God that he removed Marion's compulsion through all the things that she went through as a Christian. Now I want to ask a loaded question. 
Does addiction have anything to do with demonic activity? I, I think we, we kind of talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. The Bible calls us what? Earthen vessels, right? And, and we leak. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. We leak. We leak what? Holy Spirit, right? So we have to constantly fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. If we don't constantly fill ourselves fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we have an empty vessel, a void. Who loves a void? Satan. He will fill it up with whatever you desire. And and sin and and addiction are kind of the same, right? It's fun for a while. Feels good. And and you might not even realize that that's what you're being filled up with. So. The short answer is our ancestors didn't call alcohol the demon rum for nothing. It's, it, can, it can lead to it. It can result in demonic activity. But let's go back to the idea that a Christian can be saved and still be addicted. That's a little more complicated. Now, how many of you were here for the Tiff Shuttlesworth series? Okay. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon no hmm can a Christian be afflicted by demonic activity yeah okay addiction is a spiritual battle between what good and evil as such what will it respond to prayer right in the early days after salvation I have some pretty vivid recollections of Marion when she would ask a group of us to pray for her there was an obvious lifting of oppression each time and each time she would recover a little more and get better because she got stronger in her faith the prayer would help her the Holy Spirit would fill her now the other thing I want to mention about it is when we see someone come to the altar and either give themselves to Jesus or have an affliction or something lifted from them, you know, that, that's, that's an awesome experience for them and for us, right? It's good to see that. Do you know what happened to that person before they came through the door? Do you know what they went through? Do you know how many years they struggled? No. What we see is, is the completed work that God has done, right? They either give themselves to God or you pray for them and, and something happens. You know, a foot gets healed, an addiction gets lifted, a disease gets cured. So what we're seeing is a little slice of their walk with God because even if they're not saved, is, God, is the Holy Spirit working on them? No one comes to God unless the Holy Spirit what? Draws them. All right, so <laughs> we've covered a lot here. Um, a lot of what the Bible says about recovery from sin goes for recovery from addiction. Anybody surprised by that? I'm not. Sin is a kind of addiction. Well, sin feels good. We do it because we've, it, it feels good. 
we're bored, we're upset, we're hurt, we've just accomplished some big thing or had something bad happen to us, so we reward ourselves by indulging in a little, I hate air quotes, I'm sorry, a little sin. So why do we use drugs or drink? Well, it's the same set of reasons, right? We either celebrate or something bad happened or something good happened or it feels good at first. And then you get to the point, if you're an addict or an alcoholic, you get to the point where one is too much and a thousand isn't enough. And that's, that's the truth. Addiction can be very subtle. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I'm an alcoholic and I'm in a church service and everything's wonderful, everything's great. Uh, people prayed for me and I feel good. So I'm on my way home and I'm terrific and I'm thinking about that and I'm, I'm praising God and I walk into the bar and I sit down and I have a drink to celebrate. And I am here to tell you that is exactly what happens. That's the compulsion. That's, that's Satan. That's the affliction. That's, they're trying to get you back. And it sounds so ridiculous. You know, I'm coming home from church and I end up in a bar. And I can't tell you how many of my friends that were addicts have told me of similar experiences that they had. They swore off drinking, they're coming home from an AA meeting or, or, or church service or whatever, and all of a sudden, before they realize it, they find themselves in a bar drinking. That's what addiction does to you. So what can we do? Well, all my pastors tell me to stay in the Word, right? 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, we all know this one, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who's he talking to here? Christians, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Addictions always have triggers. Sin has triggers. Same, pretty much the same thing. And I'm going to use the two interchangeably here. It can be something good. It can be something bad. It can be frustration, argument with your spouse, bad day. But if you keep going to the addiction or the compulsion to get good feelings, they begin to consume you. I've had friends die from alcoholism and drug overdose. I know many of you had. It, it consumes them. And the devil starts to build the wall around them. Brick by brick, drink by drink, smoke by smoke, Drug use by drug use, bad movie after bad movie, everything starts to, it starts to dominate your thinking and it will dominate your life. What's, what's the line I'm so fond of using? Anything I put before my God is an idol. It will dominate your life. And finally, 
Satan's built a wall around you that it's almost impossible to get through. Now, God gives us weapons to destroy that kind of stuff. 2 Corinthians 10.4, and I like the way the King James put it, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So we have weapons that we can use. First, we have the ability to choose. Joshua 24.15 says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And the other famous one is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. It says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So when that temptation or compulsion, and I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's pornography or uh, alcohol use or meth or whatever, we can choose God. Now, secondly, we have other people. God has given us, what, friends, mentors, spouses, others. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Why does James tell us to confess our faults to each other? Because when we do that, the other person is going to do what? Pray for us, right? So we talk about our weaknesses to our good Christian friends and they pray for us. Romans 15 verses 1 to 2 says, we, are, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. So as fellow Christians, Paul tells us what? We have a responsibility to build each other up. I had, uh, now this is going to tell you how old I am. I had a friend back in the early 90s who was an addict. And this was before cell phones became attached to our hip. He, act, he was a recovering alcoholic and he actually had his home phone moved right next to the door. Do you know why? So that he had one last chance to pick up the phone and call somebody before he went out and had a drink. And, and nowadays, we got that phone right here. So if we feel that compulsion, we can pray and we can call somebody. I still have an accountability partner from my very first church that lives down in Louisiana. His name is Rick Pete, great guy, and we still communicate. We still pray for each other. We still tell each other our weaknesses, you know, problems that we've had and everything. Um, now, third and last, and I probably should have put this one first, we have submission to God. James 4, 7 through 10 tells us, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he might, might flee? He will flee. 
Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Boy, that is so true nowadays and so tough to get around. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. This really lifts you up, doesn't it? Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. So without surrender to God, it is not, and, and I'm sorry, it is not possible to beat an addiction. That huge ego that addicts have is going to get in your way and God has to break through that and our surrendering to Him is the only way. How many of you are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous? It's a 12-step 12, 12 program. Um, it was founded by Dr. Bob and Bill W. Let me give you a passage. It's from chapter 5 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's on page 58 and 59. And it says, remember, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. What does that sound like? Sounds like that one scripture verse, doesn't it? Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. See, AA was originally founded on biblical principles. They kind of watered it down so that anybody, that whole higher power thing. Um, but at any rate, God is the one that can lift addictions. I can't. Marlene can't. The board members can't. We can pray, but God is the only one that can do it. And in order to do it, you have to submit to God. Now, that's the other thing that's comparable to AA, submission. You know, it's, it's being powerless, recognizing that you're powerless over this thing. You cannot do it in your own strength. Now, I'll close with a few thoughts. Hey, we are going to get out a little early. Um, for those of you who are struggling with a family member who has an addiction or a loved one or, or a friend, I want to tell you that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to convince them to stop. I'm sorry, it's the truth. And any counselor worth their salt is going to tell you that. And I know it's, I, it rips your heart out. It's a choice they have to make. And it's just like salvation. It's a choice we have to make. And they need to choose to surrender to God. And there are only two things that you as a loved one or family member can do. Save yourself and pray for them. That's, that's what you can do. I wish I could give you a magic formula. To, uh, to get rid of addiction in your life or in someone else's, but, but you can't. It's hard work. It requires submission to God, and it requires doing things that, that just many people don't want to do. So, any questions? Any thoughts? Y'all just want to get out early. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Uh, we ask that you help us to remain in it, to learn it, to, to, to be able to understand it, Lord. We ask that you give us fellowship with one another to help with that. And we ask that the people that you put in our lives who are addicted in one way or another or trapped in some kind of sin can be helped. We ask that you give us the means to pray for them, give us the ability not to judge them, but to leave it to you to get them sober or clean or whatever is necessary. And Father, just help us to do that. As we go out this week, let us be bold in your word. Let us be kind to people and especially kind to one another. And give us a good week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.